Well, friends, listeners from all over South Africa, it is good to be with you on Radio Pulpit and Radio Cape Pulpit with me, Mark Penrith, your host, and Teppo Pitzel, my partner in crime extraordinaire. We are both from a church called Crystal Park Baptist Church in Benoni, where we serve the church as staff, mm-hmm. caring for the souls of men. And changing the light bulbs as and when necessary. A shout out to everyone in the great and glorious city of Benoni. It is good to have you with us. Uh, Long time and regular listeners, I think of uh, Gogo Hanna, who I have no doubt is listening in, as well as Tepelo and others who are regular listeners to the show. It is good to have you with us. Ishwa, uh, I know you listen and comment. Uh, Penny, you listen and comment every show. It's great to have you guys with us. And if you are a new listener, I want to encourage you to comment and to engage and to interact and to ask questions on the show today. How might you do that, you ask? Great question. <laughs> Let me tell you. Uh, you can use WhatsApp and Telegram. The telephone number is 0826572729. Did I say that too fast? <laughs> Maybe I should repeat that. Have your pen in hand. Uh, type this on your phone now. The number is 082657. 2729. I love voice notes. Please get those voice notes rolling in. Uh, always choose to listen to voice notes uh, over long text yeah. messages. Um, the other way that you can comment, engage, ask questions is via Facebook. Uh, Radio Pulpit Radio Console uh, is the Facebook page. You'll see that we are live streaming as we speak. And while we mention live streaming as we speak, the person who makes sure that all the lights are on and that we are rolling, sitting behind the controls, is our partner in the ministry, uh, Mpo. Thank you so much uh, for your service to us, brother. Uh, you can also engage with us on Twitter. The Twitter handle is at 657am. Let me just remind you, WhatsApp and Telegram 082-657-2729. Get those voice notes rolling in. And we do invite you to join the conversation. This morning we're going to be doing a questions and answers. And so that is an opportunity for you to phone in, for you to call in. Uh, Maybe just to say the studio number is also 012-334-1322 if you'd like to dial in and talk directly to us on air we are looking forward to engaging with you on your questions related to God's word the Bible each week um, as we start the show uh, we start off really addressing the state of our nation Uh, I'm partnered together uh, with uh, normally with a friend Michael Swain he's from an organization called 4SA which is Freedom of Religion South Africa Um, but this morning uh, instead of Michael I'm joined uh, by um, a co-worker at 4SA uh, a lady named Daniela uh, Ellebeck and it is wonderful to have you with us uh, on the show this morning Daniela good morning Mark uh, it's a pleasure to be with you two gentlemen thank you very much for the opportunity 
Yeah, cool. And, and thank you so much for joining us uh, each week as we engage with 4SA on matters of the state. Um, I've been really impressed by the work that you guys do and by the excellence mm. in which you do it. Uh, I really think that you've done uh, a great job to advance uh, freedom of religion in South Africa, protect freedom of religion in South Africa. Uh, and I've loved the way that you've promoted the freedom of religion, uh, even on the show, uh, for a brief moment uh, at the beginning of it. So thank you for the way that you partner with us really appreciate it oh no that is an absolute pleasure it is wonderful to know that the work that we do is appreciated now you are an attorney and a legal advisor to freedom of religion south africa so we we like we're speaking to somebody who really knows what they're talking about we're speaking to somebody who is on the coalface of interacting with the department of justice and the department of home affairs and others um Daniela, maybe just to start the conversation off, uh, let's talk about Papuda. Obviously, that is on kind of in everybody's inbox at the moment. It's on everybody's Facebook page, yeah. on their on their Twitter profile feeds. Um, it's even made national news. Can you tell us what the what Papuda is really? Just explain it to us again, and why is there such a fuss about the proposed changes which are being um, which are being suggested amended? So. These are the proposed changes to the current Promotion of Equality and Prevention of Unfair Discrimination Act, commonly known as PETA or the Equality Act. And these proposed amendments um, take the form of an amendment bill that was published by the Department of Justice for public comment. And this is also why it's causing such a fuss, because many civil organizations, um, many other lawyers, um, even the financial sector have said, oh, my word, these proposed amendments are a disaster. So (laughs) what the Department of Justice has said to 4SA is that they'll consider all public comments received up until um, the 30th of June. So that's next Wednesday. Wow, that's just around Uh, the corner. And I and I say I say wow in in shocked surprise because I actually knew that we've been uh, we've been uh, uh, promoting amongst pastors and in pastors forums um, as well as to uh, folk in our church to to make amendments and to uh, hook into the 4SA website in order to um, uh, make submissions. No, definitely. I think. Um a wonderful job has been done uh, uh, in raising awareness, and we just want to thank Radio Pulpit and everything that you have done as well um, in assisting us making people aware, because this is possibly the most dangerous law that 4SA has come across in our work since we were founded in 2014 um, when it comes to religious freedom. And we strongly encourage every listener who has not yet commented on the bill um, to get involved and make a comment, mm. because this bill really will affect every listener and it proposes amongst other things to change both the definitions of discrimination and equality significantly broadening both of them and i mean when you're dealing with an act that's very name is the promotion of equality and prevention of unfair discrimination act and you change the meanings of equality and the meanings of discrimination then you really are changing something very fundamental Hmm. um and amongst uh the other changes proposed for example also um it proposes the expansion um, of liability for discrimination quite radically um, so that, for example employers will be liable for the discriminatory conduct of their employees um, even if for example the employer didn't know about it or even if the employee didn't act intentionally because that's one of the things is that the bill proposes removing intention as a requirement for discrimination so you will be held 
liable for discrimination even if you didn't intend to discriminate. <laughs> um, and then your employer will also be held liable if you did it in the course and scope of your work. So, I mean, um, let's take hey, a I'm, I'm like example. watching Tepo right here, right now. <laughs> I, I'm like really, really nervous. <laughs> yeah, no, Tepo, I mean, let's say that, um, yeah, during the course of this interview, either you or Mark ask me a question and I take, um, I, I feel prejudiced by the question on the grounds that I'm a woman. Mm. Um, I feel that my dignity has been undermined wow. as a woman. I mean, even if neither of you, even if the fact that I'm a woman didn't factor into why you were asking that question, mm. you'll be guilty of discrimination in terms of these post changes. Yeah. And not only will you be liable, Radio Pulpit will also be liable. Wow. So that's how extreme this is. Mm. Um, and that's why there's been such a massive public outcry from different sectors. Sure. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> How do people respond, uh, Daniela? How, how, how do they, I mean, right now, somebody listening says, okay, I, I'm motivated, I hear the problem, uh, I'm going to, I, 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 I want to, I want to do something. What can a person do um, right now to put their hand up and say, hang on, wait, this is too far. Mm. Uh, I also want to voice my opinion that, uh, that, that this amendment is dangerous. Well, first of all, I want to say well done for getting active because um, we are blessed enough to be living in a democracy, which means that we have a voice in the laws that get passed in this country mm. and that the government has to listen to when we object. So first of all, I want to say that it's not wasted when you get involved. Mm. Um, you're actually exercising your democratic responsibility in order to continue enjoying your democratic rights. Yes. Um, so for this reason, we would strongly encourage everyone uh, to make comment on it. And they can do this very easily. Um, so they can either go to the DRSA website and fill in um, the form there, and DRSA will submit it. Uh, 4SA has been liaising with DRSA, so um, we can say that the comments um, do go to the Department of Justice, and they are taken seriously, and the comments are very good, um, you know, uh, the, the forms that have been provided there. And, or they can go to the 4SA website at www.forsa.org.za and as you go land on the homepage, right at the top there's a banner that says, you know, computer amendments, download a submission. And what we'll download is a Word document, which listeners can then very easily just quickly type in their name, their other personal details. And they can copy paste the email address at the Department of Justice, which is on the Word document, and just email the Word document immediately. Like the entire process should not take longer than five minutes. Mm. Um, yeah, you guys really have made it quite easy. I actually followed that same process this week. Um, I, I was contacted by a, a member of our church, um, a former elder of our church, who said, hey, Mark, have you heard about this Peputo Amendment Bill? And what is the church and what are you doing uh, in terms of response? Um, uh, to which I smiled because obviously I think everybody <laughs> that's, a, that's a pastor yeah. right now is aware of what's going on. And everyone is trying to respond in many ways. Um, but before I sent out the uh, the links to the 4SA website um uh, to our church, I, I actually went to the 4SA website, I clicked on the link, I went across to the DSA website and filled in the form. It was so simple. Probably the whole process took four minutes to do. 
and uh, yeah, I, I was I was really glad that you guys have simplified the process. Mm. So thank you so much for that. Um, the, the person who contacted me actually brought up two things. Um, he, he brought up the Papuda Amendment uh, uh, bill, but he also brought up the Department of Home Affairs draft marriage policy, um, and uh-huh. again raised concerns around that. And uh, I was wondering if you would uh, talk into that. Um, okay, so. Mark, the department has recently published a green paper on marriages in South Africa, um, which is currently open for public comment, also until next week, Wednesday. (laughs) So these two have coinciding deadlines. Sure. Now, basically, uh, what this document is, is um, it contains all the different options for how a marriage policy and a single marriage law that would regulate all the marriages in South Africa could look. So... It's a document uh, that the department compiled, kind of a draft policy, if you want to call it that, and it has different options. It says, you know, option one for a marriage policy could be this. Option two could be this. For a marriage act, we could go this way or we could go this way. Mm. And um, the idea is that the policy would provide an overall framework uh, for regulating marriages in South Africa and that it would go alongside the Single Marriage Act that the government has been working towards. Um, which I'm sure you and Michael have also spoken about. Now, the draft policy has made news headlines mainly because of its proposal that, uh, in the name of equal, um, in the name of equality, polyandry, in other words, one woman marrying more than one man, um, be legally recognised as a form of marriage. So I think everyone's aware of that because that has been touted <laughs> on, on, on most of the major news sites that I've seen. Now. From a religious freedom point of view, and I think this is probably what your uh, former elder was um, talking to you about, uh, 4SA is concerned that amongst the options proposed by the department um, for a marriage policy includes an option that all religious marriage officers, so uh, your pastors who have a license to solemnize marriages and register them with the Department of Home Affairs, um, be forced to indiscriminately solemnize all marriages, irrespective of whether a marriage agrees with the pastor or church is part of religious beliefs. Mm. Um, So practically, what this would mean, if this is what the policy and the statute state, is that a pastor uh, who is a marriage officer could, for example, be forced to solemnize a polygamous marriage, even if he's part of a church that doesn't believe in polygamy. Mm. Um, A Hindu spiritual leader um, who is also a marriage officer could be forced to solemnize a Muslim marriage. You know, a Muslim uh, imam who is also a marriage officer could be forced to solemnize a same-sex marriage, even if that goes against his or the mosques that he's part of. That he's part of's beliefs. Um, so essentially, what you're talking about here is the state forcing private individuals, because remember that we're talking about private spiritual leaders who are employed by you know the religious institution they're part of. Your pastor isn't employed, you know. By the Department of Home Affairs at all. So we're talking about the state forcing private spiritual leaders to do mm. something yes. that goes against their core beliefs. Mm. And that is very concerning that that was even proposed in the Green Paper. Yeah, I mean, just the idea of having to go against your conscience sure. and just the the ramifications for a person of belief of uh, of doing that is a sinful act. Mm. I mean, it's just it is so dangerous. Uh, it, it it is certainly not the right place to be in. Um, again, 
Um, for this particular issue, um, uh, like the Papuda issue, a person who maybe is a marriage officer in South Africa who's listening into the show, um, or a member of the public who feels called to action right now um, on this particular act, how can they go about um, engaging with the state on this? Um, so again, Forestay has done the same thing that we did with the Peter um, Amendment Bill, which is we've drafted a template submission that is available on our website. Um, if you scroll down on the homepage, so the Peter one's at the top, and if you scroll down at the bottom, you'll find a, an alert article there with the Home Affairs submission. So they're both on the homepage. Um, and again, uh, listeners can just download the template. It will download as a Word document. They can type in their details. They can copy paste the email address at the Department of Home Affairs that the temp- uh, that the submission is supposed to be sent through. Put the um, you know form in the email. Paste the email address. Click send. Should not take longer than you know. I'm glad you used it four minutes. It's great. <laughs> so not take longer than that. So after Wednesday, are you taking a month off uh, or? Does the, the the issues between the state and the church carry on rolling in? Um, at the moment, there are a couple of issues that we are looking at uh, that have deadlines for comments in July. Um, and of course, I think as we've realized, working in the religious freedom field never stops. So I have to say, as a team, we would appreciate it if there could be a small break. <laughs> I'm sure we, we've been we've been working very, very hard on 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 both these issues. Um, you, you guys really yeah, have. I mean, I mean the week, road the Monday, road shows. Advocate Nadine will be part of a panel discussion with the Minister of Home Affairs on this marriage policy. So, mm. you know, the invites and the work and the potential religious freedom threats in terms of law and court cases keep going on and i get i get that you guys are a team there's nadine yourself michael uh, and others that uh, that rally to the banner that you guys uh, put up um i do hope that you feel the weight of um god's people um just responding um as you guys have raised the flag um and that you are encouraged as you go about your work um and 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 maybe just to remind listeners that um, that the church isn't against the state. We recognize that the state mm-hmm. is ordained by God mm-hmm. and our prayers, therefore, are with the state, uh, even in the midst of uh, these kind of rolling battles. But we do trust uh, that God's will will prevail um, and that we will move forward in these things. Mm-hmm. Hey, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I look forward to speaking to yourself or Michael next week. Wonderful. Thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Every blessing. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Well, Radio Pulpit and Radio Cape Pulpit, it is great to be with you this morning. We are about to turn to questions and answers. The first question has come in. It was by Ishwa. Uh, Thanks for raising that. Um, And a couple of people that I mentioned have already said hi. Penny has said that uh, she loves listening to the radio on Fridays. Ishwa um, has said that he enjoys listening to this show. Um, a number of people have uh, commented and come in. I see that there were a couple of questions uh, for Daniela. I'm so sorry. I, <laughs> I only saw them now. Uh, thanks for asking them. Hopefully Foise, um picks up the questions, the comments um, uh, off radio and responds to them in our comments. If not, I will, I will point them to them. Um, the first question from Ishwa 
um, uh, that uh, is raised is, is around Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. It's around Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. Um, and the question goes like this. Hello, Pastor Mark. Love your program. Tell concerning Genesis chapter 1 and 2, they are different concerning the creation events. Or is chapter 2 more of a zoom in and a zoom out? Also, are we to take the six days creation as literal six days or not? Thank you and God bless. What a great question. I, I really like it. I even like the spirit of the question. I, I'm just uh, pulling up Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 so I have them uh, 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 near to me even as I speak into them. And um, I, I'm also going to give you the opportunity to talk yeah. into this, uh, Tsepo, but, <laughs> but maybe, maybe I'll get the ball rolling. Yeah. Um, Genesis chapter 1 obviously is the creation account. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the story. Uh, it begins in Genesis chapter 1, yeah. uh, verse 1. And, and really, that first account goes all the way to chapter 2, verse 3. Um, I think just in terms of the division mm-hmm. um, of, uh, of the account, I would say the, nar- the narrative element goes all the way through to chapter 2, verse 3. I'd say that that is one portion of Scripture. Mm-hmm. It, it tells the story of six days of creation god creating mm-hmm. the world uh, in in untested perfection ex nilio which is just fancy latin it's marmalade for out of nothing and um, that god created the world out of nothing the heavens and the earth and all that is in them that god spoke and they came into being and the account rolls from one day uh, after another mm-hmm. Maybe to ask to answer the second part of your question is uh, should this be taken as six literal days or not? Um, I would answer that this should be taken as six literal days. Um, that days are spoken of, um, a period of time is spoken of, um, particularly after day four. Um, other uses of the word yom, which is day, uh, the Hebrew word yeah, translated as day, other uses of the Hebrew word yom in the rest of scripture by the same author, Moses, uh, in the book of Exodus, um, refers to a literal 24-hour period. And so I would take this account in terms of the authorial intent as has been six literal days um, I would say that that's not the main point that the author is trying to make he's not trying to make a, a distinction between evolution and creation he, he's trying to make the point that God created all things that's the main point and in chapter one he's trying to make the point that God created all things in untested perfection that he created everything good Um, In fact, it's one of the repeated phrases. There's a couple of repeated phrases in chapter 1 that God created and after he saw everything that he created, he declares it is good. And on day 2, it is good. It's interesting to note that he doesn't declare that everything is good on every single day. Um, but it is a repeated frame which which as we kind of crescendo towards the sixth day as God creates male and female as he creates them man and woman as he creates them in his own image he makes the triumphant declaration that everything is very good Um, untested perfection no sin no death no problem God created everything good now your question was well then like um what's going on in chapter two because chapter two 
kind of feels either like a, a repetition, <laughs> there's another creation account, or it feels a little bit schizophrenic, like there's a different creation account because some of the details are different. What's going on in chapter two? And I, I would answer that chapter two is is a zoom in. Yeah. So chapter one, you've got the the six literal days of creation. God creates all things in heaven and on earth in untested perfection, and it is very good. Genesis chapter 2 really zooms in on the sixth day of creation and is focused really on the creation of man in particular. It is so interesting to note because sin enters into the world in Genesis chapter 3. Things go pear-shaped in Genesis chapter 3. The wheels come off the bus in Genesis chapter 3 as man falls into rebellion, rebels against God rebels against his creator but God declares in Genesis chapter 2 that things aren't as good as they seem <laughs> what happens is God presents the animals before Adam whatever he names them um, they are but for Adam no suitable helper can be found and God looks at this situation and says it is not good for man to be alone uh, later on he causes a deep sleep to come upon man he takes one of his ribs our snap um, <laughs> and then creates a woman um, Adam's response as he is presented with Eve by God in what really amounts to the first marriage ceremony recorded in the Bible is whoa <laughs> like whoa man <laughs> who could believe that something so perfect something which complements me so well something mm. which can only be divine has been made by god for me uh, this one at last and the, uh, the 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 language in the hebrew at least is emphatic this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh this one will be called woman for she is taken from man and this is why man leaves his father and his mother and is united or bonded to his wife and the two become one flesh um, and at this stage things are still in untested perfection the the chapter ends off with with the note that both the man and his wife were naked and he felt no shame at the end of chapter 3 after sin enters into the world the man and his wife are going to be clothed mm -hmm. but they're going to be clothed by God covered by him because that's what we need we we need a covering and um, because our sin stands as a reproach against a holy and almighty God the creator of heavens and the earth who is sinless and perfect perfect in all of his glory we need something to cover our sinful state and at the end of chapter three it's god who provides that covering that's my answer to the first question from ishwa ishwa i do want to say thank you so much for that uh, if you have a follow-up question we will pick it up but i do want to pass the baton over yeah. to tape or anything to add subtract or <laughs> or clarify i think i think well, the first thing that came to mind um, when he asked is like chapter two, a zoom in on chapter one. I remember um, having youth uh, like two weeks ago. So we were dealing with creation. So your daughter said to me. Um, Which one, the naughty one or the not so naughty one? <laughs> I'm just kidding. They're both, they're both depraved. <laughs> oh, the older one. Ca ca carry on. The older one. Uh, so she was like, so we were going through this and then. Um, I think chapter 2 verse 7 Where it says Then the Lord formed man out of the dust And she's like no surely that's chapter 1 Because we've gone through the mm. 7 days Well the 6 days of creation And then she's like 
wait a minute, how is that in chapter two? Because the creation of man happens in chapter one. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's basically um, chapter two is definitely a zoom in on what happens in chapter one, because there we see great detail of what it looked like. Mm. Yeah, instead of just. God created man in the image of God. And yeah. you know, we get some details that are really important to the rest of the story yes. and really important to our understanding of creation and discovery of information in the world around us. So, for mm-hmm. example, we find out that the ecosystem was completely different mm-hmm. in chapter 2 than mm-hmm. it is today. So, yes. for example, the earth is not watered by precipitation, which comes from below, but rather mm-hmm. um, mists come out from the ground in mm-hmm. order to water the earth. Uh, that detail becomes so important when we get to chapter 6 and we have this worldwide flood yeah. where, when the sky above gives out its water and the earth below gives out its water. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really all kind of tied together. It ties mm-hmm. chapter 1, chapter 2, in chapter 6 yeah. um, so well together um, excellent question thanks for the addition and Caitlin good observation of <laughs> chapter 2 verse 7 I'm yeah. proud of you my girl um, Penny asked a question which was aimed at Daniela from 4SA but in actual fact I, th- I think I can answer Penny so um, Penny says hi again this morning on Radio Pulpit I heard that the objections are not getting to the department as the email platform crashed any further news on that um, so I can't answer on behalf of the South African government, <laughs> but but I can say that when you submit um, responses via the 4SA website, you're actually submitting responses on Dear SA, mm-hmm. and uh, those responses will be lodged there, and even if the department's mail server has crashed, I have no doubt that they will have mechanisms in order to get your response uh, to the government Uh, with either time to spare or as uh, lodged as objections. And so uh, excellent point, uh, Penny. Uh, Danny also notes that. Uh, Thank you for that. I hope that that uh, gives you an answer. Um, Danny asked the question. Now, this is a tricky one Mm -hmm. in light of the conversation regarding the Papuda Amendment Act, regarding the conversation regarding marriage and what constitutes marriage and just how liberal our country is getting okay. in relation to this. Uh, I, I mean, I can't even remember all the different iterations of the alphabet um, that are recognized. Yeah. Um, but, but also, I, I think important in, in relation to things like uh, abortion uh, and the state's relationship uh, mm-hmm. with uh, legislation around that, uh, Danny notes that we want to know why God is perhaps withdrawing his la- his hand of mm. blessing from RSA the Republic of South Africa Tepo uh-huh. is God withdrawing his hand of blessing from South Africa how might you begin to respond uh, to that question so firstly I, I think I would go to Romans 1 um, Romans 1 is basically where we see how firstly like let me let me let me talk to the whole gender thing that happens again 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 i'm thinking about um youth <laughs> because this is where i get most of the questions yeah. right so what what about this um this day and them and <laughs> you can't you can't now refer to a girl as a she yeah. and i'm like actually my my kids were in youth right yes. so i've got a i've got an 18 year old yeah who, who I, I basically spoke to about young adults because that young adults group is massive and said yeah. hey babes you do get 
you, you, you do know that from this year you get to go to both youth and young adults. And she was like, oh, I can't stop going to youth. I love it so much. <laughs> um, but they came back a couple of weeks ago, yeah. um, maybe four or five weeks ago, yeah. and uh, they had had this conversation around gender pronouns mm-hmm. uh, with you, he, she, them, they, or whatever it might be. And I recognize that the youth of our age mm. are facing questions that, yeah. that I certainly never had to face when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, um, but I, I love that they get to ask you and, yes. and that you uh, give them answers, mate. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, is God withdrawing his hand of blessing from South Africa? Where would you start to answer that question? I'll start with Romans 1. Yeah. <laughs> Verse 18 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Yes. So, 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 and okay, let me read the next verse. Verse 19 says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, has, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So mm. they are without excuse. Mm. So firstly, so firstly, you, like I look at I look at our history, mm. right? And I'm looking I look at how well marriage <laughs> was marriage between male and female and that was what was um lawful. And now we we sort of see um well there's a whole lot of things that are creeping in, a lot of things that are being um allowed and so basically what has been happening is obviously that that's one way of God's judgment because later on in this chapter he says he'll give them over to their passions yeah. to their lustful um uh, desires uh, to the desires of their hearts so it's 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 i think what's happening here is as a nation um when we allow a lot of things happening obviously God's wrath is being revealed mm. and so even his hand of protection mm. is like you know what um, these people are moving away from me and so I'm, I'm just going to give them over to mm. what they want for themselves scary very scary I preached a, a sermon a couple of months ago yeah. uh, it was out of the book of Ecclesiastes and uh, was just looking at at, at just the danger mm. of a nation falling into the hands of an angry God yeah. and feeling the righteous judgment of God come upon them. Mm-hmm. However, Danny, um, there are a couple of tensions in Scripture, right? Yeah. Um, and so my mind went to Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, you have Paul. Uh, he is on the. Uh, he, he's speaking to the people of Athens. Um, he is in the Areopagus, uh, which is kind of like a, a shrine. Yeah. He, he's addressing them with the philosophies of their time. They've got a shrine to an unknown god. He references that shrine. He's basically pointing them to God. He's saying, "Hey, listen, your God can actually be known." <laughs> Uh, in out of interest, like in verse twenty four, turns out that he 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 then moves into God, the Creator, who made the world and everything in it, and that he can't be served by human hands. Mm. But in verse twenty six, it says something very interesting regarding nations and nationality. And then where, where I would land uh, in terms of your question, he says, yeah. "From one man, he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth, and has determined the appointed times and the boundaries of where." They live of where they live and mm-hmm. so um uh, on the one hand we might lament where south africa is in terms of mm. legislation mm. and in terms of the practice and in terms of the way that our culture seems to be embracing all kinds yeah. of godlessness mm-hmm. um at a rapid rate however <laughs> god is saying 
uh, he has determined even this country, this nation, South Africa, and all the people groups in her. In verse 27, why did he do that? He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him though he is not far from each one of us and for him in him we live and move and have our being as even some of your own poets have said for we are his offspring since then we are God's offspring we shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone an image fashioned by human art and imagination Mm. maybe just to explain what's going on there he's saying that God has appointed nations and one of the reasons why he puts them into place is that they might seek out after him mm-hmm. not seek out after false gods made in their own images and I think the God that our culture worships today is a God fashioned in our own image the God of humanism or secularism or materialism but really he gets to the cracks in verse 30 and it's a call he says therefore having overlooked the times of ignorance God now commands all people everywhere that's people mm. in Soweto people <laughs> in Santon yeah. people in Daviton people in Benoni people in Cape Town and people in Kwabeha <laughs> ah, I tried Kwabeha <laughs> and people in Kwabeha yeah. it's people everywhere in our entire nation he commands all people everywhere to mm. repent mm. that means to turn because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in mm. righteousness by the man that he has appointed and he has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead the bottom line is God appoints nations that God might reach out for that, that man might reach out for God mm. and we are to do that through Jesus Christ yeah. Paul basically frames it in this kind of language he says I want prayers and petitions to be made for all men especially for those in authority and he says why do I want this because I want you to live peaceful and tranquil lives mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but why do I want you to lead peaceful and tranquil lives? Ultimately, so that the gospel might go out and men might put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as mm-hmm. their Lord and their Savior. For indeed, that's what God's heart is. And you can read about that in two Timothy, uh, in one Timothy, chapter two. Yeah, that was that was a great question. Thank you, Danny. And uh, it was uh, it was great to go and take a look at what uh, God's word says about this. Teresa. You know what, Teresa? I think I called you Tapelo uh, yeah, earlier. You I was Tepelo. talking about Tapelo, <laughs> but I actually meant Teresa. <laughs> but it's great to have you with us uh, listening in today. Um, he, uh, he, he, he pitches a question that I think I've heard him ask before. But that's okay. I, I, I don't mind uh, covering this ground. It's important ground. He says, greetings. He asks three questions. <laughs> <laughs> the first question he says is, does 1 Timothy 3 mean that an overseer has to first be married and have more than one child. Ah, that's a nuance. That that mm. is different. I, I, I know that uh, that Teresa, you have asked questions around one Timothy three before, but, mm. but I don't think you've actually asked that particular question. Good question. Does one Timothy three mean that an overseer has to first be married and have more than one child. Let's read 1 Timothy 3. Would you read that uh, to us, Tepo? So that's the whole 1 Timothy 3. 1 Timothy 3, okay. start at verse 1, go to, okay. don't go past verse 8. I think okay, that's cool. where it ends yeah, with elders. Till verse 7. Okay, it yeah. says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober minded, self controlled, respectable hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, 
not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by others or outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. And so the question, and, and by the way, I mean, you'd want to read this in conjunction with Titus chapter yes. 1, verse 6 to 7, which yeah. also gives the um, attributes, the characteristics, the qualifications uh, of an elder. Mm-hmm. Um, but the particular um, qualifications that... Uh, that uh, Teresa um, is pointing at yeah. um, really relates to this idea that he must be a husband of one wife mm-hmm. um, and that is repeated in both of those passages and that he must his children um, must be in submission yeah. uh, they mustn't be given to rebelliousness um, uh, they must not be accused of dissipation or mm-hmm. insubordination uh, and following so how do we reconcile that? Can an elder must an elder therefore be married, and must an elder therefore have children that are that are uh, that are in the faith? Well, l- let me just say, Teresa, off the bat, that some do interpret that passage that mm-hmm. way. So mm-hmm. they come to the they come to the passage and they say that the word elder itself uh, mm-hmm. means older. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, we covered that because we're going through three John at the moment. We're preaching through three John at Crystal Park Baptist Church, and mm-hmm. we and that starts off the elder, <laughs> the older, the presbyteros. Um, How old would John have been? John would have been like in his nineties. I mean, yeah. he was like an old man. He could yeah. have been as early as seventy because he might have been as young as thirteen. When mm. Jesus Christ went into ministry, yeah. um, I take a late reading uh, or late writing for the Book of John, so yeah. I'd put it at about 95 AD in that region, mm-hmm. and so you've got to say what 35 plus, um, you know, 95 minus 35 leaves you with 60. Mm. So you either add 60 to 13, maybe at his oldest he might have been 30, because it would have been very unlikely that he would have been older than Jesus Christ. Traditionally yeah. in Hebrew yeah. culture, uh, a disciple would have been younger than their, their rabbi. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that would make him 90 at the oldest, maybe 70 thereabouts at the youngest. Mm-hmm. Um, Peter being the oldest disciple and John in all likelihood being the youngest disciple. Mm-hmm. At least that's what I didn't say on Sunday but that I thought through mm-hmm. <laughs> as I was preparing um, the passage but we're getting cool. off elder. the point no elder we, what we, we're we, talking we, about yes. is older yeah, yeah the yeah. elder the older so some would take that word older and they would say well the older year the elder year is being described as a husband of one wife and therefore mm-hmm. he must be married mm-hmm. and not only that he has children in these texts so he must have children mm-hmm. um, I would say that is a minority interpretation of those verses mm-hmm. um, most interpreters of those passages go to the start of the passage where it says that these men must be blameless that they must be above repute and they would say that that first qualification becomes the overarching qualification over all the rest that follows Mm -hmm. and what Paul is trying to um, is trying to um, put across to Titus in Crete and to Timothy in Ephesus is that hey brother 
Um, these men must be above repute, they must be blameless. These are moral qualifications rather than a checklist uh, that you need to get off, that these men must be morally above repute. Um, mm. Maybe to deal with marriage and children separately, uh, the first one, the, the, the marriage qualification, um, I, I would say that a, a better translation of the Greek words under consideration in both 1 Timothy chapter 3 as well as Titus chapter 1 uh, would be to say in English that this must be a one-womaned man, mm-hmm. that uh, that this man mustn't be characterized by having multiple relationships or mm-hmm. multiple considerations in terms of love, life, yeah. um, or uh, sexual intimacy, that this must be fidelity. a one-woman m- man, fidelity. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was a much better choice of words. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Um, and, and so rather than say that this man must be married or this man must be married once, mm. it's that this man must have only one woman in the affection of yeah. his heart. Um, and then in terms of children, th- there's a slight nuance in mm-hmm. uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. Yeah. Um, the, the, the children in Ephesus, uh, a church which probably was far more established, um, uh, seem to have a higher kind of um, uh, qualification that mm-hmm. uh, Paul infers to Timothy than those that he implies uh, to Titus on Crete. Um, and, and so I would say that, that these are indicative of what the elder's children should look like should he have children. Mm-hmm. Um, one also needs to note that if Paul made the requirements, you must be married and you must have children, he'd be excluding himself from serving as an True. elder of <laughs> A church, True. Um, and so it it just doesn't. I, I I think that the reason why it's a minority interpretation is because it seems that the blamelessness is the focus, and mm. the rest of the qualifications are attributes of mm-hmm. this blamelessness that Paul is trying to convey to Timothy, as well as to Titus. Anything to add there, brother? Yeah. So I think so. I I honestly take the the submissive children <laughs> and I cross over to Titus and I still um what is this take that as submissive children because just just to think of it it says the children should be believers mm. now question is you you are an elder let's say your your kids are under <laughs> whatever age so so they haven't come to grips with the gospel they don't really understand the gospel yes. so do we say then because of that you are disqualified mm. to being an elder although they are submissive right um so i take that to be as submissive children because what what then as well if let's say you're married and you don't have children <laughs> does it disqualify you because now you you a husband of one wife um so children don't make your list of qualifications so i think i think there's 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 a lot of um nuances when it comes to the list um yeah so obedient children submissive children and your household should be in order i think that's one of the main ones your household should be in order now teresa's question actually now starts to unravel he's yeah. clearly been looking at this passage yeah. over many well, I, many months i mean to say something yeah else. sure shoot so <laughs> so so when it comes to when it comes to um children being believers yes the immediate question that came to mind was does god elect households mm. now what's the presbyterian in you saying 
<laughs> exactly. So, so, so when, when when I thought of that, I was like, hmm, could this be one of the grounds uh, by which uh, the blessing of the believing parents mm. then gets passed on to the children? So, yeah. I mean, it's an interesting question. Yeah. I would say as we look at scripture yeah. and as we look at the overwhelming evidence both from the prescriptive portions of scripture as well as from the descriptive yeah. portions of scripture in the New Testament. So that would be the book of Acts and then the letters of Paul and Barnabas if he wrote Hebrews and, and others. The overwhelming evidence is mm. that believers need to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as yep. their own personal Lord and Savior and yep. at that moment they are saved yeah. even in the descriptive portions of the book of Acts where it speaks of households um, mm. the word belief still mm -hmm. occurs and mm. so um, we have people believing that happen to be members of a household and mm -hmm. then they are yeah. baptized yeah. and so I, I would say God does save households because yeah. God is good yeah. and God is gracious like that and yeah. what a joy when a household is saved mm -hmm. but when a household is saved it is saved because each individual believer in that True. household has put their the individual faith and trust in Jesus Christ yeah. as their Lord and their Savior but now that we're talking about belief um, mm -hmm. it becomes a good segue into the second part of Teresa's question mm -hmm. he, he says how do you measure or rate being a new convert I'm going to shoot from the, <laughs> the hip with the next two questions yeah. so that we can get to our advert breaks yeah. um, and so that we can enter into a second part uh, of the of the show in our second hour and so that we can get other people to ask questions yeah. um, Teresa how do you measure the rate of being a new convert which is spoken about again in 1 mm -hmm. Timothy chapter 3 he says um, they should not be a new convert yeah. well I, I don't know if um, what Paul is inferring is a matter of time mm -hmm. he's not saying hey listen yeah, you, you, can't, you couldn't have been a Christian for six months or for a year or for you know two years mm -hmm. I, I think it's more a measure of holding on to the deep truths of the faith which mm -hmm. he actually states um, specifically uh, in terms of the qualifications for deacons which are mm -hmm. given in 1 Timothy chapter 3 from verse 9 I think to 11 yeah. um, and so there you have this idea that a deacon should be holding to the deep truths of faith I think that must be true of an elder as well mm -hmm. and so for some people that might take a relatively short amount of time and I'm not going to specify amount of time yeah. and for other people that takes a lot longer um, but the deep truths of the faith would be what differentiates and holding on to those mm. uh, would be what differentiates a new convert uh, from a mature convert. For more about a mature convert, you can look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20 and following. Yeah. He then says, if a believer who is a female pastor comes to the truth of 1 Timothy 2.11, seeing that it matches with 1 Corinthians 14.34, as well as Titus chapter 2 verse 5, what would the next step she would need to take um, be in order to stay faithful to the text? Um, and I think that is such a comprehensive question that we will need to leave it until yeah. after the hour. We're going to cut uh, to a couple of um, uh, uh, adverts now um, mm -hmm. and do thank you for those who partner with us. Um, and after the adverts, we will come back um, with questions and answers. 
Well, it's great to have you back with us uh, this morning. We are entering into the second hour of a questions and answers together with myself, Mark. Uh, My name is Mark Penrith. I'm from Crystal Park Baptist Church in Benoni. And this morning I am joined by my partner in crime, uh, Tepo Pitzel. Together we serve uh, the people of Crystal Park Baptist Church, Benoni. We're doing a questions and answers today, which means you get to ask questions and we will answer them from God's Word live on air. Uh, you can do that in one of at least three ways. Uh, you can WhatsApp or Telegram 0826572729. That is the number for WhatsApps and Telegrams. Love voice notes. Uh, mm. Would love to hear you get voice notes coming in profile of Radio Pulpit Radio Console. You'll see that we are live streaming there right now. You can drop notes into the comment section. They come up right on the screen in front of me. We're also available on Twitter. If you're a tweet, uh, you can uh, tweet to at 657am. Um, multiple mechanisms to get those questions mm-hmm. rolling in. Looking forward to hearing from you. Uh, we're just going to pick up on a question by Teresa um, before we go on to more questions and answers. A, a third question on 1 Timothy chapter 3. Um, and Teresa makes the assumption that a believer who's a female pastor comes to the truth of 1 Timothy mm. chapter 2.11, seems that it matches with 1 Corinthians 14.34 as well as Titus chapter 2 verse 5 and says that they see the truth that they should um, that, that they are not qualified um, they're in the role of a female pastor what would the next step be? What should she take in order to stay faithful to the text? And I, I like the question because mm. it is it is framed in terms of faithfulness Mm-hmm. Maybe just to underline what the Bible is actually saying here, uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, we, say, we read, he has a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach. I, I, I'm reading right now from the NIV, uh, uh, and it is a 2011 copy of the NIV, which has opted for gender-neutral languages. Uh, and so, uh, in actual fact, gender is not being conveyed in what I just read. But if we had to read the Greek, and if we had to read a a translation, an English translation, mm. which desires to put across the gender language which Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, um, chose to use. We'd read, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. And then it goes on to describe a man who is married Mm. to one wife. Mm. Um, And and so what we would take from that passage, as well as the other passages which Teresa has quoted, is that the role of pastor, and when I say the role of pastor, I now need to be quite specific. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about the function of pastor. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about pastorally taking care of the people around me. I'm not talking about speaking into someone's life, shepherding someone through a period of grief, or even speaking into someone's life who is struggling with sin, mm-hmm. or, or struggling with calamity, or giving pastoral advice. I'm not talking about the function uh, uh, of pastor, and I'm also not even talking about the gifting a a certain gifting that 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 people have both men and women to Mm. act pastorally Mm. as they go about the work which god has called about uh, them to Mm. i'm now talking specifically about the role of pastor 
as an office in yeah. a church. Yeah. Um, in God's word, uh, in the church, we are introduced to two offices. Um, the office of pastor or two offices that are relevant for this dispensation. Seppo, <laughs> you can ask a question just after this. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> to this dispensation of, of church life, um, the role of office, uh, uh, the role of office, the role of pastor and the role of deacon. Um, uh, the role of of pastor, mm-hmm. elder, overseer, those three words being used interchangeably in Timothy, Titus, and in other portions of God's word by mm-hmm. Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5. These roles are restricted, are limited uh, to a man. Mm. Now, if a woman, a female pastor in Teresa's question, opens up God's word and, and reads these passages and comes to that conclusion, because mm-hmm. that's what he has implied, what should you do? Well, if you come to con- the conclusion in God's word that anything that you are doing is wrong, mm. your responsibility is to repent. Yeah. Your respons- and the word repent, by the way, doesn't just mean to say I'm wrong and then you carry on doing it. The, the mm. word repent really means to change one's mind, to, 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 to move in one's mind from one direction to mm. another direction. A- and repentance always brings about the fruit of repentance, which yeah. in this case would be to stand down from that role um, have I said it with enough clarity um, and yeah. sufficient nuances and, and recognition for the way that God calls us and gifts us but for the office mm. that we're speaking about in particular yeah so I, yeah I, I think that's, that's just um, what the person has to do repent um, also also, I think I think I'm just having spoken to a lot of people on this uh, topic because it always comes up right yes um the thing that i've always thought of is why well i understand with that as christians we are all servants right yes but there seems to be um the the like i think i think all other ministries are diminished or they they ranked low mm. as opposed to this particular one oh. so it seems like if you are yeah. in this you are the main man. You get to wear the white suit and exactly. the silk scarf. <laughs> yeah. So and so, everyone must call you pastor. Yeah. So, man so of God, for me, for the me, angel of the church <laughs> in Benoni. <laughs> yeah. You so, laugh. There's look, guys out there with those know, ridiculous titles. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> pastor Shepherd, but we're not gonna mention <laughs> major <the rest> one. <laughs> okay, carry on. But anyway, so 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 I think I think when uh, when when we come to scripture, we need to we need to look at ministries and see them. As equally glorifying God, yes. right, and and not epitomize. Although that is a, a like one of the main or well the 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 most responsible person who because they shepherd over. It is sheep. the fulcrum yeah. of leadership yeah. Yeah. in terms of the local church. Yeah. But it doesn't mean if you are serving in any other ministry, you are. Less of a servant, if I can, if I can use those wordings. It's in um, moments like these I love being a Baptist because yeah. we hold to the priesthood of all believers. Exactly that even our shepherds, our pastors, mm-hmm. serve from amongst the flock. Exactly that God has gifted and called individuals to the specific role, mm. in much the same way as He calls and gifts others to other roles yes. in the church that we serve. Yeah. 
one another uh, that there isn't this massive distinction between mm. clergy mm. and laity mm. that creates these guys that sit somewhere up in the clouds in the sky so far above us yeah. uh, that we can hardly see them that you have to pay to meet for counseling well fortunately <laughs> their feet are still on, yeah. on the ground so we can still yeah. polish their shiny white yeah. shoes so 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 for me i think when they do come to that conviction um, wanting to be faithful to the scripture like you said there's a role and there's function yes care for the people continue to care for the people but the teaching ministry is given to elders who are described as he mm. and and i love your 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 note there regarding mm. the teaching ministry and, yeah. and really according to um uh, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 yeah. we're talking about a role which is exercising authority yes. um, role that is exercising authority and that has been given to man mm. and Paul in terms of writing that particular passage of scripture doesn't appeal to the culture around him and says hey listen yeah, this is the way that we've always done it and there's mm. this patriarchy uh, that's in place he actually appeals to creation order he appeals yeah. to Genesis chapter 1 and 2 yeah. and it says it's for this reason that this is in place Glenn Williams in terms of uh, speaking to Genesis uh, to Genesis chapter 1 says that the repeated lines in Genesis chapter 1 oh and Glenn is a is a is such a frequent uh, listener. listener that I should have noted him at the yeah. beginning of the <laughs> of the show as well it's great to have you with us Glenn and my mom who listens every single week <laughs> uh, to the show uh, my dad actually um, sent me a voice note just before the show started started to say uh, my boy I, I won't be able to um, uh, be listening in yeah. uh, live today um, he is conducting a funeral service for oh. a very close friend of his uh, Bishop Eric Pike my father's an Anglican pastor uh, Bishop Eric Pike down in Port Elizabeth and mm-hmm. so my heart does go out to folk that are grieving down there um, but Glenn says that the repeated lines in Genesis chapter 1 have led to scholars um, to state it's just a poem and it's not true the problem with this position though is that despite the repeated phrases the early chapters do not follow the structure of Hebrew poetry Hebrew poetic form is always subject verb object while Hebrew form for narrative is verb subject or uh, object uh, when you analyze the Hebrew structure of the early chapters of Genesis, the grammatical and syntactical form is verb, subject, object throughout, meaning that they are a narrative and mm. not poetry and are to be taken literally. Uh, I, I mean, that is a fascinating point. Yeah. And whilst I would certainly agree and hold to a narrative uh, to this being a narrative in fact i think i said that um, yeah. previously I, I i wouldn't i wouldn't be i wouldn't object to also acknowledging that it has a certain poetic rhythm and vibrancy about it um but i can't wait to go away and look at the subject verb object uh, <laughs> order of those words later on today because i am that nerdy so thanks yeah. for making that point glenn really appreciate it uh, penny just in response to the whole genesis uh, conversation says mm-hmm. god created everything good which must mean that flies mosquitoes and cockroaches <laughs> as well as rats mm. um, must have arrived after the fall maybe just to say penny i think that the noise that mosquitoes made must have come after the floor but there's no reason to think that they couldn't have just existed as nice little mm. flying butterflies before the floor although there's not much pretty about them so yeah. maybe that's a great point uh, Penny uh, thanks for making it um uh, Penny uh, also says that the South African government and certain prominent members of parliament have expressed their hatred of Israel 
And mm. God has categorically stated that he will bless those nations who bless Israel and curse those who curse Israel. How do we deal with Israel? And, you know, listeners to Radio Pulpit and Radio K Pulpit, today we are gifted by having two people who have slightly nuanced uh. views of how <laughs> Scripture deals with Israel. We have the prominent academic and rising star, Tepo Pitzel, um, who makes no oh distinction Lord. between Israel and the church. Oh and then Lord. we have the measly oh Mark Penrith, who is a dispensationalist <laughs> and draws a wide berth between the Israel and the church. And it's going to be interesting to hear how, how these two proponents answer this same question live on air. Temple, do you want to start or do you want me to start? Well, I think firstly you have misrepresented my view. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, not, not, mi- not misrepresenting your eminence, your <laughs> academic eminence, just your view. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay, no problem. Why, yeah. why, why, don't you, why don't you start us off? Uh, how, how, how should we deal with Israel? Well, yeah, and very specifically, uh, the members of parliament who have expressed their hatred for Israel and mm. God's word clearly talking about those who bless Israel will be blessed and those who curse Israel will be cursed. How do we deal with that? Or how go, do you deal first, with that? Go first and Go that first. You want to you want to just breathe yeah, a little bit. Yeah, go okay. first and that So, um Penny, um I'm what one would call a a dispensationalist. Mm. Popular dispensationalists today would be a folk like John MacArthur would fall into that camp. And and really theologically what dispensationalists do is they they hold quite a wide gap. Well, they hold a, a very wide gap between Israel as a nation and the church as an entity, the church established on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Why is that relevant? It's relevant for this reason. Um, all that are in the church today, every single soul, and we actually covered that as we spoke about the children of households, yeah. every single soul who is in the church today is in the church because they have placed their personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ mm-hmm. as their Lord and their Savior, and that includes all that are in Israel. So when Jesus came into this world and Israel rejected him as a national entity, and as the church was established in uh, Acts chapter 2, really the call on all of those who were in Jerusalem and every single Israelite that had been collected there from all the nations of the earth, the mm. Medes and the Mesopotamians and the Creoles and the, I don't think they were Creoles, I think they were Cretans, Cretans. Uh, which sounds a little bit like Martians, but that's not really mm. what, what, uh, what, what Luke had in mind. As all of those Jews had collected from all the nations of the world around them where they were in the diaspora in those years, the call on them wasn't to, hey, listen, yeah, if you're a good Jew, you don't need Jesus. The call on each and every one of them was, you killed Jesus, the mm-hmm. Messiah. You personally need to put your faith and your trust in him. And then in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, it turns out that 3,000 people did. <laughs> Those mm-hmm. who believed his message that day were baptized and they were added to their number and the church went from 120 praying people in that upper room or thereabouts to 3,120 saved saints in the early church in Jerusalem. And it's been that way ever since. Um, All men everywhere, both Jews and Gentiles, are to put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ that they might be saved. That's that's the first point. And, And why is that relevant? Um, Penny, as we look at the secular nation of Israel today, 
Um, it is a marvel that it even exists. In fact, yeah. I think it's the start of the fulfillment of future prophecy. I look forward in the book of Revelation to a time where the nation of Israel will repent um, as a nation. 144,000 people are spoken about in that great and glorious book, uh, Revelation. Uh, you can also pick up that same theme and that same conversation in Romans chapter 9 to 11, particularly chapter 11, where we see a national turning of God's people, putting their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. And I do think that the nation of Israel today, which was which came into being in nineteen forty eight, um, I do believe that that nation prefigures what will be fulfilled at a future date. However, at this stage, as mm. you look at the nation of Israel, they are a secular nation in much the same way as other nations are secular. They make some good decisions and they make some bad decisions. They do some things right and they do a whole lot of things wrong. When they are wrong, um, you are, we are not doing them any favors by paying lip service to their secular parliament and by affirming them and holding them up. When they are right, um, just like any secular nation, um, we, we rejoice that God-honoring decisions are being made. Um, but we be very careful um, to, uh, to, 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 give, to pay lip service to them um, without recognizing the need for each and individual member of that nation right now to put their faith and trust in Jesus yeah. Christ as their Lord and their Savior. At the same time, they remain God's people yeah. because God's promises are always yes and amen. And so as we think of in God's Christ. word in Christ, yeah. as we think of God's word and we think particularly of Genesis chapter 12, um, we have certain promises which were made to a man, Abraham. God calls Abraham uh, yeah. from Ur of the Chaldeans and he calls them and he promises to him that he will make him a great nation, that he will give him land and that through his seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Yeah. God has not revoked the promises that he made in the Abrahamic covenant. God has not revoked any of the promises that he made in the Palestinian covenant and other covenants. We expect God's word to be fulfilled and so we wait for a time for that to be happening. Israel is the apple of God's eye and they remain the apple of God's eye. He has a plan and a purpose for them which will be fulfilled as prophecy unrolls particularly in the latter times. In the meantime when the nation is wrong we need to point out that the nation is wrong. Definitely. And when the nation is right, we need to point out that the nation is right. Now, that's my position. Yes. Hey, maybe you, you want to take mean, a stab at yours. So, so I, w I wanna, I wanna I'm going to just sit and laugh down the corner. Wait, I want to hear what's the relation between Israel and Palestine in the question. So that oh, no, no, no. Answer. So that didn't come in. So I don't oh, think okay. you have to. I, don't, okay. I, I mean, let's not, let's not get too political. Yeah? yeah, let's keep this biblical. Okay, cool. <laughs> so, so I think. Um, in terms of <laughs> whether or not we side with anybody, it's based on their correctness. So firstly, um, for instance, let's say, well, we do know that um, Israel, <laughs> well, some of Israel, or they, there's, there's a partial hardening there, right? Yes. Of which does not, um, uh, well, Christ is not accepted as Messiah, right? And obviously, in that case, I think, like you said, we need to call all men everywhere to repent and yeah. place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So, so do we side with people who are wrong? I think, I think there there would be some wrong on us for doing that because, like, 
clearly um, and, and, and biblically how do we do that how do we justify that because if we are people of the book then we need to side with everything that the bible says we need to side with so and yeah just just to just to think of things that have been happening in terms of israel <laughs> and their surroundings um i think it would also be partial to just side with israel even israel even if israel is wrong right so we we also don't want to be found um being partial um so that partiality is also based on do they follow the messiah because we 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 promote what is right we promote what um um the bible says we should promote we can't promote what is wrong we can't promote um israel as israel even though israel is not for christ so i think what the basis of everything is what are we promoting and if that brings glory to our lord and savior jesus christ if not then we are not for it okay and and just out of interest sake theologically yeah. um i mean like i i nailed my colors to a mast in terms yeah. of dispensationalism yeah um what what kind of what, what would you call or categorize your answer as I'm just, I'm just uh, curious. Uh, uh, no, I'm not. That, that's why I didn't use any categories. <laughs> so yeah. I'm just, I'm just trying okay. to be biblical, right? Hey, in the yeah. words of Paul, let yeah. me just say that uh, Paul says in Romans chapter nine, "I'm not lying. My conscience testifies to me okay. through the Holy <laughs> Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, and I wish that I myself were." cursed and cut mm. off from Christ for the benefit of my brothers and sisters my own flesh and blood they are Israelites and to them belong the adoption the glory the covenants the giving of the law the temple service and the promises the ancestors are theirs and from them by physical descent came the Christ who is God over all mm -hmm. praised and forever amen and that really the, the, those sentiments that, that heartfelt sentiment causes Paul to mm. love his people mm. uh, with a love which causes him to write mm. um, ultimately and, and to call mm. um, them to repent mm. from sin put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ but then he looks up by the time he gets to chapter 11 and he looks up at a great and glorious yeah. time when they will do just that and he does that with excitement let's move on to the next question before we spend uh, too long on politics um, <laughs> party uh, mm. great program I would like to ask about rebaptism and reordained um, is it more of one saved always saved regards party I'm not a hundred percent sure what you mean by reordained but I'm gonna just take a stab at rebaptism because this comes up all the time mm. um, so Tepo actually you you, mm. you are um, responsible for new members coming to Crystal Park Baptist yeah. Church um, you interview together with other members of the church mm -hmm. um, you catechize okay we don't catechize but we do take people through yeah. membership classes um, and the question of rebaptism comes up all the time right mm -hmm. so my position would be there's one baptism um, yes there is there is one external identification with Jesus Christ and his church in mm. the waters of baptism by full immersion as a believer um, the only reason why I might rebaptize a person is if they had a faulty baptism or they had a faulty faith in other words they weren't actually a believer yeah. it subsequently became evident that they weren't a believer but they have now put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and they're mm. saying I want to be identified with Christ's body um, and that would 
involve like a, a, a whole series of questions and mm. and making sure that we really understood what was going on. A, a second reason would be if they had a faulty baptism, and mm. faulty baptisms are very unusual. It might be that they were baptized um, in the Church of Christ, for instance, which mm. believes in baptismal regeneration. That mm-hmm. baptism is, is is that baptism saves you. That yeah. you are saved by work. I, I would then say, well, no, that was a faulty baptism. Mm-hmm. It would be a good idea to be baptized as a external profession of an internal action or if you were baptized by oneness pentecostal who uh-huh. would baptize you only in the name of jesus uh, that's not and the formula just, that just we see that. in matthew chapter 28 yeah. at the end of the chapter where we are to go into the world into all nations and baptize them in the name of the father the son mm. and the holy spirit shoot just on that no just on that um so is the thing is the thinking that the name jesus embodies the father the son and the Holy Spirit is that is that the thought there? No. So, well, l- let me just say, um, the name mm. is authority. I mean, when yes. we when we think of uh, of the way that the name is used at the end of the Book of Matthew, as well as and um, through the Book of Acts, mm. um, a whole of a person's authority and identification with that person is embodied in the name. Mm. That's not, though, why they only baptize in the name of Jesus. They baptize only in the name of Jesus because oneness Pentecostals are actually modalists, which Mm. is a heresy as Mm. old as the hills. Mm. They believe that God appears in different forms in different times. Sometimes he appears in the form of the Father. Sometimes he appears in the form of the Son. And sometimes he appears in the form of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Um, And and therefore, Trinitarianism doesn't exist. It's not Trinitarian. I'm saying it does not exist. It it does not exist. And so Trinitarians would say that the Father is God, Uh that the Spirit is God, and Uh that the Son is God, and that the Son is not the Father, the Uh Father is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Son. Uh Maybe the most popular oneness Pentecostal that I'm aware of today would be T.D. Jakes. Ah. I'll just put that out there, um, and folk can let that sit in their spirits. Um, Wow, there are so many questions that are coming through. I'm just like, I'm wondering how we're going to get through all of these. Cool, Um, wait, 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 wait. wait. There's one that you missed. Um, in terms of rebaptism, so firstly, you mentioned that baptism is by full immersion, which yes. means underneath the water, right? Yes. And then up out of the water. I take that from Acts <laughs> with Philip. Yes. Um, and then um, so the, another Look, there's time, water. What is preventing exactly. uh, me from being baptized? And then they go down into the water. The preposition is yes. is, is is in. Yes. Is, is under. And they yeah. came up. Yes. Out of yes, the water. Okay. Yes. So prepositions and matter. Turns yes. out what you learnt in grade eight or standard ten in yeah. my case, yeah. um, English classes makes a difference to how you understand yeah. what the Bible says. Yeah. yeah. And also, <laughs> uh so I come from a Methodist background. Yeah. Right? And they sprinkle babies, right? Yes. <laughs> Which is taken as hey, baptism. I come from an Anglican background. Background. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So, so in that case as well, um, that well, obviously sprinkling. When we come to biblical definition and terms, sprinkling is not baptism. So, baptism is underneath water, full immersion. So, it's, so not, that would be, it's not just about the prepositions in yeah. the Book of Acts. It's also just about the word baptism. Yes. Baptism is a transliteration. Uh, let me just say, an a translation of a word would mm-hmm. be you take a word in a language and you translate it to the best word in mm-hmm. another language. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm just trying to think of an example. Um, 
but I'm rubbish at this. Uh, the word diakonos, yeah. okay, in Greek, mm-hmm. is often translated into English as minister yes. because that's what the word actually means. Mm-hmm. It's the closest English word. Minister is the closest mm. English word to the Greek word diakonos, mm-hmm. but it's not always done like that. Sometimes deacon. the word diakonos is transliterated uh, into English as deacon. In other yeah. words, the word instead of interpreting the it, English instead of translating, <laughs> we anglicize it. Okay? <laughs> yeah, now, yeah. now English loves yeah. to just draw words in. An example of a word that we drew in is the word baptism. The yeah. word, the Greek word, is baptizo, yeah. and we anglicize it as baptism. The word itself really means to immerse. Yeah. <laughs> it means to, it, it means to, like it's dip dip, yeah. <laughs> as opposed okay. to sprinkle sprinkle. To the next one. Great, great question. Really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I just, uh, I, I mean, there's just so many questions. We're not going to go through all, we're not going to get through all of these. Mandy says, uh, good morning, interesting topic. Just on the mozzies. <laughs> on the mozzies. <laughs> it is only the female that stings you and she needs blood to lay eggs. Oh. And she injects you with a blood stalling machine. How kind of her. <laughs> I've noticed whenever we do Q&As, um, a, as a group, collectively, we always seem to pattern onto something. And today yeah. it seems to be the mozzies. Mandy, that is a wonderful observation thank you very much um for raising it uh, ishwar does say that the jews received the messiah not on his first coming why do you think there's a second coming mainly because of the jews um ishwar that that's a great question and this comes down to eschatology but yeah i think we'll probably be on the same lines yeah. in terms of an answer uh, but but let me just fire from the hip in terms of this there will be a second coming because god said there will be a second coming mm. so as we look through the old testament there are literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of prophecies about jesus christ mm-hmm. um who was the messiah to come the holy one the anointed one of god the christ hundreds and hundreds of prophecies in fact in terms of god's first advent jesus christ's first advent um possibly as many as 800 prophecies were fulfilled but get this and this is amazing and it is staggering um i mean the 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 the, the mathematical chance of Jesus Christ fulfilling all of these prophecies is Mm. a staggeringly large number but for every one prophecy about the first advent of Jesus Christ the first coming of Jesus Christ there are eight prophecies about his second coming Ishwa the first coming of Jesus Christ was prophesied by Almighty God. The mm. second prophe- uh, coming of Jesus Christ is prophesied by Almighty God. It is as sure as houses. And on that day, we will see a most staggering king. Now, this is where it's getting eschatolo- eschatological and we might part ways. But we will <laughs> see a staggering kingdom being established, mm. a kingdom here on earth, where Jesus Christ will set up the throne of David and rule mm. according to Micah chapter 5 I mean Micah chapter 5 is 2 I quote so often where yeah. it says but lo unto you Bethrath although you are small among the clans of Judah out of you will come for me one who will be ruler of all Israel and that he will rule with an iron scepter we will see the establishment of the second half of Micah chapter 5 mm. um, in a kingdom which Jesus sets up now that kingdom will be populated not only by believers um, not only by those who have put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ um, now in this 
dispensation, but also by a large number of people who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ just before his second coming. And of that number, the book of Revelation speaks about 144,000 mm-hmm. uh, Jews um, and the book of Romans chapter 11 talks about a mass turning of the nation of Israel. And so uh, Jesus isn't coming a second time just for the Jews. He's coming to collect us. <laughs> so, saints who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. I can't wait <laughs> for Jesus to come. I can't wait for a transformed body, um, a glorified body that doesn't have the ravages of a sin nature yeah. in it. Um, I can't wait to be face to face with Jesus. I can't mm. wait to see my Savior. Uh, I can't wait to worship God um, and, and glorify Him and sing hallelujahs and praise His name forever and ever. Turns out on that day, I won't be alone. There will be people from every tribe and tongue and nation mm. under earth. And of those tribes and tongues and nations, there will be. Jews who are worshiping Jesus yeah. Christ as uh-huh. their Messiah. Uh-huh. Um, let's go on to another question. Uh, Brandon says, uh, "Good morning, our Father. I pray this morning, my God, give us your children the strength, the courage to focus on you." Um, okay, this is quite a quite a long. Uh, it's quite a long prayer. Um, thanks yeah. for passing that on, Brandon. Um, yeah, just uh, uh, I, I see that there are a number of voice notes. Uh, we may get to those shortly. Um, Lynette asks, what is the difference between the soul and the spirit? What is the difference between the soul and the spirit? Lynette, that is such a tricky question. <laughs> that is brilliant. <laughs> Love it. Do, do you want to take first step? And we, we spoke about this in the sermon on Sunday. Well, this is now going to be a great test in terms you? of your <laughs> memory of uh, what was preached. So you preached two sermons, right? Okay. I listened to the first one. Ah, but I, and I spoke about it in the first okay. one as well. Well, I, I don't remember hearing that, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so honestly, um, I've also battled in terms of how do you... Hey, this is answers. This isn't questions and more listen, questions. Listen, okay, I'm, I'm listening. I'm, I'm listening. So, so honestly, when it comes to a human being, I... I turn to the the material and the immaterial, mm. right? So the immaterial this is this is good. Yeah. So the immaterial is whatever cannot be seen, which makes the person alive. Yeah. And the material is what you can see and touch and feel. So so that's that's my answer because I feel like I feel like it's there's there's a lot of slippery slopes when it comes to like getting to the nitty gritties and proper definition of separating yeah. soul and spirit. Yeah. Okay. That, that it's um, it's a it's a good. I mean that that really is a good answer. There there are two primary views. Um, uh, Lynette, uh, in terms of scripture, uh, two primary views. Uh, there is what's called the dichotomous view, and there is what is called the trichotomous view. Uh-huh. Tepo gave the dichotomous view uh-huh. this idea that we are we are physical and we are immaterial we yeah. are material and immaterial we are physical and spiritual that's dichotomy that uh-huh. we are made up of two parts and um, the other view is that we have a trichotomous nature uh-huh. uh, made up of body soul and spirit uh-huh. um, and and it is kind of tricky because the bible isn't always absolutely clear uh-huh. In terms of how these words relate to one another, 
Um, I also hold to a dichotomous view that we are made up of the material and the immaterial. However, I do think that there is a case to be made that whilst the soul and the spirit are at times synonymous in scripture, at other times there is a slight distinction which is made between them. So this Sunday, and I noticed you didn't appeal to it, which means you didn't remember it. (laughs) I must keep that in mind in terms of my my preaching flow. Um, The Apostle John the elder uh, in uh, who's writing his third epistle um, was writing to a friend of his, a guy named Gaius. And he says, listen here, Gaius, I am praying for you. Mm-hmm. I, I'm praying for your whole life. I'm praying for every single aspect of your life. And then he says, and I'm praying particularly for your health. Now, we don't know if Gaius was sick, mm-hmm. if John was praying for a health need that he knew mm-hmm. that Gaius had. But he says, I'm, I'm praying particularly for your health. And then he says, your health, I'm praying that your health would be at the same kind of level as I know your spirit is and mm. um, uh, uh, your soul is. And really the word that's used there for soul, sometimes translated spirit and mm-hmm. sometimes variously translated in English uh, translations is psyche, um, which is where we, uh, is well, suko, uh, which is where we get uh, psyche from, uh, this idea of... Um, uh, of the soul and and I would say that that is this immaterial part of us uh, this part of us which is forever our bodies are not forever mm-hmm. we have bodies but our soul that's what we actually are yeah and um, that's what our soul is now spirit gets used in in sometimes to uh, imply more than just that immaterial part sometimes mm-hmm. it includes material parts sometimes distinctions is made between spirit and soul and so different people come to different conclusions as to what that might be mm-hmm. um, but for the purpose of it I, I would say more often than not in scripture these are synonymous with one another mm-hmm. and yet they are distinct components of that which is more often than not immaterial mm-hmm. um, thanks for that question Lynette a really really good question Ishwa says, that's the rapture, not the second coming. Ah, great. So, so, uh, I mean, even in this room, there might be diversity of opinion <laughs> how these things roll out into the future. Uh, and the rapture is a common topic which yeah. comes up when we're doing Q&A. Yeah. Um, Ishwa, let me just say that I am what is called a pre-trib premillennialist. So mm-hmm. I do believe that the rapture will happen at, and I believe in a secret rapture. By that I don't mean that like the rapture <laughs> will happen no one will know about it. Um, I don't believe that the rapture occurred at, at a time in the past and it was and it was not known to people that were mm-hmm. around us. Uh, I believe that there will come a time when the church, uh, Revelation chapter 1, 2 and 3, you see the church there and then mm-hmm. after that point the church is gone from the book of Revelation. That the church will no longer be in the story that we will be caught up together with the Lord in the clouds he will come and collect us but the story carries on and during the time period which proceeds after the rapture what we call the tribulation and then a three and a half period of great tribulation during that period the nation of Israel will turn and put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior what will happen at the end of that seven-year period is that Jesus Christ himself will come again a second coming and he will establish his throne uh, and the central location his capital city will be Jerusalem Mount Zion Mm. um, and (coughs) 
um, he will reign and rule all the nations of the world for a thousand year period we would call that the millennial period until such time uh, as there is um, well the the story just carries on rolling out <laughs> after that yeah. um, but but the point that I'm trying to make is you are right there is a distinction between the rapture and the second coming of Jesus Christ the turning of the nation of Israel happens in between those two great events um, and the next event in God's um, prophetic timetable is the rapture of the church no one knows the time and the place and when that's going to happen but surely we do feel rumblings all around us as nations are brought together and as we see uh, governments exercising kinds of powers that we have never seen before we do kind of get the feeling that these things are coming near Mm. Tinker, I'm just trying to um, ask. Uh, I'm just trying to re- re- reply to um, to various different people at the moment. Um, I see that Macanio says that the Bible always um, uh, that's uh, Macanio MTC, and and maybe just to say that Glenn mm. is a senior lecturer at Macanio um, and is involved in staff at Macanio. He's our regular listener, and now we have somebody so else from Macanio. Oh, is that? Another person. This is another person. Okay. Uh, The Bible almost always distinguishes between two elements of a human being. Oh, this is dichotomous as well. Hmm. The nature or physical body and the spiritual or God-giving life, the soul or the spirit. And then there are a number of quotes. um, And based on these and other verses, it seems best to adopt the dichotomous view of man. Um, indeed, in the history of the Christian Church, the majority of believers have adopted the dichotomous view. Uh, the only verse that speaks of three parts is Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 23, which says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus. But this verse does not describe three distinct parts of a human being rather this verse makes a statement to describe completely the totality of the whole human being and the bible also uses the word spirit and soul interchangeably thus showing that there's not a clear distinction between them i'd agree with that glenn yep. um, and it turns out you're in sync with both Teppel and myself praise the lord um Tinker says there are many Jews. Wow, we've had a lot of questions around Israel today. Mm. <laughs> there are many Jews coming to Christ. This is true. Yeah. But this week I heard that in Israel there are more Palestinian Christians than Jewish Christians. I love Romans 11 as it reminds us of the fact that we as Gentiles are grafted in to make the Jews jealous. Um, so it is so important to shrine whatever we are and to pray for them with the love of the Lord. I, I think that that is a great point uh, I mean the truth is we want to see men and women coming to faith and trust in Jesus Christ mm-hmm. as their Lord and their Savior w- what an mightily reconciliatory and amazing thought to think that in in heaven above for all eternity standing side by side with waving palm branches and singing hallelujah will be Israelites and Palestinians well. black South Africans and white South Africans mm-hmm. Zulu South Africans and Kosa South Africans Mm. or whatever other divisions we might put up in this Mm. world Mm. male and female rich and poor Mm. um, Jew and Gentile all alike God is creating for himself a people Mm. from every tribe and tongue and nation it's a glorious thought I, I mean who could have invented this other than he who desires to bring glory to himself mm. I, I'm busy reading through um, 
a book at the moment uh, written by John Piper uh, mm-hmm. called Providence, mm-hmm. and uh, and just reading at the moment uh, a, a chapter dealing with God's um, jealousy for His own glory. Mm-hmm. Um, the, those aren't the words of Piper or of Edwards, who he is quoting, but just this this reality that God desires His glories to be known and manifest in mm-hmm. all the world, not because He desires more glory for Himself, mm-hmm. because God is all glorious, you mm-hmm. know, infinite in His glory, infinite in His splendor, infinite in His majesty, all worthy of praise and honor, uh, and honor and adoration mm-hmm. forever and ever. But his desire in terms of painting this canvas of human history um, in all of its brilliance, with all of its beauty and splendor, and even in the midst of our pain and suffering, his desire is ultimately to glorify himself mm-hmm. and his son, Jesus Christ. Um, and that's what we will experience forever and ever in heaven to come. And mm. we will experience that alongside some of the most surprising people yeah. <laughs> we could ever imagine because God is that good. Mm-hmm. He is that merciful, that gracious. Foka, as we kind of head towards the end of the show, I, 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 voice notes, uh, are, are, do, are we going to play any of the voice notes? We're going to play a voice note quickly, and there was one other question that I wanted to get to. Much for that confirmation. You know, our pastor, one day there was a lady in the congregation, and she had a bit of a... Um, not a, a problem, but a, a, a discussion on what water baptism really is. So he went to pay her a house visit, and she served him with rusks and coffee. And he said to her, now, Auntie, take this rusk and dip it in the water for me. And she dipped the rusk, and she completely immersed the rusk in the coffee. And then the pastor said, oh, that settles my case. <laughs> and the next Sunday, this same lady was baptized. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Mm. Um, uh, thanks, thanks for that, Mandy. I really appreciate uh, <laughs> the the illustration. Um, I mean, maybe just in terms of baptism, also to point out because it did come up when we were talking about uh, the Church of Christ and their belief in baptismal mm-hmm. regeneration. Mm-hmm. That is, Baptists, whilst we hold to baptism by full immersion, uh, which means like dipping, like mm-hmm. a rusking coffee, um, <laughs> immersing, um, whilst we hold to baptism by immersion, um, we do not believe that it is a step of salvation. We mm. believe that it is an act of obedience in response to salvation, mm. which is a very important distinction to make. So whilst you know, advocating for baptism and um, by full immersion as a believer, mm. um, that in no me that in no ways um, indicates a disdain for other brothers and sisters who come to mm. many of the passages which we have spoken of and come to different interpretations, still have much love in my heart mm-hmm. uh, for you. 1 John chapter 5 verse 16 is the last question that uh, I have before me today. Um, and uh, it was asked by... Uh, um, it was asked by um, Faith. And uh, Faith says, Please explain the sin that leads to death <laughs> and the sin that does not lead to death according to 1 John chapter 5 verse 16. 
Um, and that's, uh, she also references Romans chapter 3, verse 23, which states that the wages of sin is death. Wow. I mean, just out of all the questions uh, that could come in, probably this is the most complex that can be asked. It's, it certainly is one of the most difficult verses in the New Testament to interpret. Um, what is the sin that leads to death? Uh, and what is the sin that does not lead to death, according to 1 John chapter 5, verse 16? Um, so... Uh, in terms of the answer, uh, the best answer that I can find with limited time to study that particular text, and um, because I haven't actually preached through the book of 1 John chapter 5, and so I, I want to limit my response uh, to... Um, uh, I want to limit my response somewhat and not be too categorical in terms of the answer is that A, this is a difficult passage to yeah. interpret B, many people come to a diverse range of interpretations on it and uh, and I, I also want to give some thought and some thinking to a number of the different uh, options that are available but C, in terms of my understanding probably the best way to interpret it is in light of um, a description, a descriptive portion of God's word, Acts chapter five, verse one to ten, where we see um, two believers, um, Ananias and Sapphira, in unrepentant sin. Uh -huh. And in um, Acts chapter five, verse uh, one to ten, uh, which in actual fact I taught on last week Thursday, um, uh, as I was as I was looking at that particular passage in, in detail, uh, we see a husband who is lying to the Holy Spirit, uh, withholding the proceeds of a sale of a property um, from the apostles, but really pretending to them that he's given them everything. And as a result, he is immediately judged uh, before the apostles, not by the apostles, but by the Holy Spirit, who strikes him down dead. Three hours later, his wife comes in. She's asked the same question <laughs> by the apostles, and uh, she is struck down dead as well. And then a, a certain type of fear descends on the church um, in Jerusalem, and as a result, the Lord God starts to bring many people to saving faith in Jesus Christ. It turns out that a pure church <laughs> is a very attractive church to a watching world. Um, there comes a point where God will no longer allow a believer to continue in unrepentant sin. Mm. Now, we see the way that God deals with unrepentance and in a diversity in, in a believer's life in a diversity of ways in scripture so for example um, one would be church discipline in Matthew chapter 18 mm -hmm. where we read of um, a four-step process of God dealing with unrepentance sin in a believer's life to such an extent where Jesus says that if a person continues unrepentant sin it is better for them it's better for the whole community mm. it's better for the church to put them out of the church and to um, treat them like an unbeliever like a Gentile um, uh, like someone who has not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ we, we also see unrepentant sin being dealt with um, uh, and again, it's, it's a painful dealing with in the book of Hebrews in chapter 12, where the writer of Hebrews, let's just call him Barnabas for lack of another mm. name, um, mm. says in chapter 12 that um, God is like an earthly father. And what earthly father, if he actually loves his child, won't discipline his child? Mm. And he's talking, by the way, not about uh, kind of like go stand in the corner for, <laughs> mm. for, for, for five minutes or you can't play PS3 for the rest of the day. He's talking about the kind of physical discipline that a loving father would give to a child, which would help them to conform their life 
um, uh, to um, uh, conform their life and their actions and their practices uh, mm. to that which is God glorifying. Well, well, uh, the writer says that our heavenly Father is like that with us. If we are in unrepentant sin, we can expect the discipline of God mm. to be on our lives. It seems to me that 1 John chapter 5, verse 16 is talking about a discipline of God which will go so far as even to snuff out the life of a believer in this world so that they wouldn't fall away from the faith and then be excluded from God forever in the world to come. I think, although it is not absolutely certain, but I think that that is what Luke is implying in Acts chapter 5 at the death of Ananias and Sapphira, that you have two believers who are being disciplined even to the point of death um, for their unrepentant sin. And I'm fairly sure that that is what the older, the elder John to his little children is speaking about mm. in 1 John chapter 5 verse 16. But in saying that, I must confess, Faith, that that is an incredibly difficult verse to say with certainty that that is what's been spoken about. Um, I myself will go and uh, and spend some time in God's Word, even today, looking at 1 John chapter 5, verse 16, as well as the subject, noun, uh, verb, <laughs> object uh, uh, discussion in Genesis chapter 1. Tipple, so, we actually have to. We actually have to close because yeah, because uh, we are now coming up for the hour for yeah. the for the, for the hour. Um, we do need to cut to news mm. uh, at ten o'clock. There are a couple of uh, advertisements and things which ha- need to happen before that, um, and we are going to be closing uh, in a um, in a song interlude. But before we do, let me just say thanks very much for coming mm-hmm. in today. It was cool to have you uh, yeah. in uh, in studio with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've missed you for the last couple of weeks. <laughs> uh, I think we had uh, great fun today. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the drive home so that we can discuss in detail. Exactly. One John chapter five verse sixteen. Yeah, we we, we kept we kept that for ourselves. <laughs> we kept that for ourselves. Tune <laughs> in next week, and we might we might just open with it. So we yeah. make the whole of next week about uh, one John chapter five uh, verse we, sixteen. We, we let them know what we concluded in the. Car. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff. You, you know that uh, Teresa is going to be asking us uh. as soon as soon as we get in the car. Hey guys, can you can you just dial me in so I can sit in on the WhatsApp conversation uh, yeah. as we are driving home, yeah. folk? Uh, even in closing, let me just say that our our prayers and our hearts um, go out to those who are on uh, the coal face of uh, what's happening in our country at the mm. moment, particularly. Mm. Um, uh, the nurses and the doctors and uh, staff in hospital realizing that they are under grave pressure at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, our prayers go out to all the elders and deacons mm-hmm. who hold the line in local churches. You guys are superheroes uh, and I do thank you for the work that you are doing um, and uh, can't wait um, to hear how God has used many local churches over this period yeah. um, and to missionaries who are serving on foreign fields often forgotten um, when things get really tough mm-hmm. on uh, on local fields uh, as well as to uh, folk um, all over our state uh, first responders, police, firefighters, uh, paramedics, uh, 
uh, and correctional service officers who are holding the line and doing their duty wherever God might have placed them. You've listened to Table Talk with me, your host Mark, along with Teppo, uh, my friend and colleague, and we are now going to go um, uh, to music. We are um, looking forward to next week, Friday. Go with God and get after it.